Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a MAR Recovery Resources production for MAR Addiction Treatment Centers. I'm Matt Shebb. My guest today, Brian, helped build the software for the Curiosity rover that took photos of the surface of the planet Mars. He worked with the Navy on equipment that took photos deep underwater. But there was a time in his life where Brian couldn't stop drinking long enough to get to an appointment with his probation officer without being intoxicated. Brian shares his recovery journey with us and how being in treatment at Mar helped him come to terms with his alcoholism. Said I, I, there was a really a time when I was at Mar and I was at the worst place and I was thinking, God, I am so stupid. What am I going to be able to do with this life? And I've been able to have a family and friends and, and a career that's successful. I didn't think I was going to have a career that's successful. I have, to, I have to stop telling myself that I have to have these things to be happy because it's not true. They're not the things that are going to make me happy and I actually need to ignore those things and go get something else if I really want to be happy or solve my problem. I think you're going to enjoy sitting with Brian and hearing his story. He has a genuine, gentle, and humble approach to recovery. Here's Brian. Yeah, so I was in college. I was trying to go to college. I was dating a drug dealer while I was in Air Force ROTC, while I was trying to have a relationship with my daughter, while having an estranged, horrible relationship with her mom, kind of all at the same time. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. It was a handful. It it was, (laughs) you know, looking back at it, I kind of think that was kind of foolish to try to do life that way. Um, but to me, it made sense because I felt like I had to have all of those pieces, even mm. though none of them went together. And, so were you feeling the pressure of all that stuff? Oh, yeah. It was kind of like, yeah, it was like, I'm not going to marry her because I'm too immature to get married right now because I'm, I'm actually just too selfish and self-centered for that. But I, I want my daughter to know that I love her and I, and I, and I can't do that to her. I don't want to just abandon her. And I want to go to college and I want to get a degree. And I want to make my dad was a fighter pilot. And I was like, I want to be in the Air Force and be a fighter pilot too. But I kind of feel like I'm alone and everything in my life is kind of lonely and, and horrible, except for dating this drug dealer that makes it all better. Right. <laughs> so I'm just going to try all of that. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to make any decisions about that. And and so what, you know, the, the thing that won was, a, was the alcohol and the drinking. Like, uh, eventually I kind of drank everything else away, except for the drinking. And so I was just drinking and alone mm-hmm. every night, waiting for something to happen. And uh, what did happen was going back to jail again. Um, I was on probation for my DUI and I got arrested again for, I showed up to my probation office drunk, uh, which was also kind of foolish, but that's kind of the way I I did life a little bit. And I remember, and I think, I think this is really important to the story because it, it helped me identify that I was an alcoholic, although it didn't at the moment, but it was like, I started drinking a couple of days before. And I was like, you know what? I like just got to cut this off. Like tomorrow noon, I'm going to be fine. And then tomorrow came around. I was like, you know what? If if I just cut it off at eight, you know, eight tonight, I can just go in tomorrow and it'll be fine. And then I kind of kept drinking, and you know, eventually I was like, I didn't stop drinking. 
and eventually it was about an hour for this thing. I was like, mm, I'll just take some Listerine and go in and see how it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and see how it works. The minute I came in the thing, she just looked at me and she said, okay, how much have you had to drink today? <laughs> and this is, and this like, is where the hearing? This is at the probation officer for probation. like one of my like monthly okay. check-ins. Gotcha. So she wrote me a ticket right back to jail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I went to jail and my, and you know, I was probably about 23 at this point. Uh, my parents were there and, and the judge was kind of like, my parents were saying, we'll take him to rehab. And he was like, okay, take him to rehab. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll go to rehab. Cause I'd rather go to rehab than go to jail for the rest of the year. Um, I actually thought at that point that that meant I was court ordered to go to rehab. I actually had to wait until I was an adult to realize that no, if, if judges actually want to court order you to rehab, they have like, they have really much more persuasive ways to do that <laughs> <laughs> than, than looking at your parents and say, okay, go with them. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, I was like, okay, I guess I got to go to rehab. Um, yeah. And and they uh and my dad was a pilot and and they had they kind of had a relationship for the pilots of Mar and so he kind of got the referral and that's what took me to Mar. And I mm. started my recovery. So uh, you were way what? too immature for recovery. <laughs> so you were twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, I was twenty three. Yeah. Wow. Mhm. Yeah. And I remember getting there and I remember thinking, okay, I'd rather go to jail than go to, um, I'd rather not go to jail than rehab. And I got to rehab and I'm like, man, maybe I'd be better off in jail. You know, I, you know, I really just, I really, I didn't want to stop drinking. I just wanted to stop going to jail is really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then when I was in there and I was not a very spiritual person at this way in my life, I had kind of thought that, you know, it was, re- I thought it was really cruel that God let me actually have some of the consequences of my own actions, especially when uh, it looked like other people were getting away without the consequences of their actions. Like, uh, like all the people that had been in high school with me that partied much harder than me. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was all completely unfair. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of became a spiritual kind of atheist, uh, angry at the God I didn't believe in kind of mm-hmm. the way I'd kind of describe it. Um, and when I came in and I remember I walked in the Mar the first time and I saw like the 12 steps on the wall and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, text two came willing to believe in a power greater than myself. And then step three, you know, turning my one, my life over to the care of God. I was like, Oh gosh, it was just like, I would just, I immediately just felt so depressed. Yeah. Cause I was like, you might as well tell me that we're going to talk about Santa Claus for three months. Right. I was like, like, this is not real you know i didn't i didn't know anything about recovery or spirituality all i knew is is that i seriously doubt any of that actually affects anyone in a real way <laughs> so i was in there and i'm like oh gosh and i was like we're gonna talk about this for three months and i remember i, I was in the first meeting and some guy really just started opening up emotionally about where he was and i was just kind of shocked yeah I was like, you're going to just talk like that in front of people. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, and, and stuff like this. Uh, yeah. I, I was just miserable. Oh, I hated it. I, I was so immature. I was, I, I, 
I feel like it is such a blessing that I was able to go to Mar and then eventually get it and recover because like it was not something I would have decided to do. I did not have the maturity to make a decision like that, to like go mm-hmm. to Mar and get recovery and get sober. And it happened anyway yeah because of kind of what god did in my life and i was like thank god thank the god i don't believe in yeah thank god i don't (laughs) believe in and yeah and and what eventually kind of turned it around for me and mar was i was just looking around and and i was like i was 23 and i felt like i was in a room full of 50 year old dudes Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh and i remember just sitting on the couch when i got to the place and i was just like i don't know what to do with you people yeah uh And I'm sure they were looking at me kind of thinking the same way. I was like, I'm just going to sit here on the couch depressed. Y'all go do whatever you're going to do. Right. Um, and and we were in meetings and I remember kind of going around and, uh, but that was the first, that was the first time in my life that I had decided to stop drinking. And it mm-hmm. wasn't like, you know, and, and again, it wasn't like, I'm not going to stop drinking forever. I just don't want to stop going to jail. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't, and then I started noticing how hard that was. Like up until that point, I would kind of told myself, I could quit if I want to. I just really like being drunk a lot. And when I was in there and it was like every other thought I had was, you know, what we ought to do, we ought to go get some beer right now and start drinking it. That'd be great. I was like, oh, wait, crap. We can't do that. We're in rehab. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's kind of where my mind was for like weeks. And then I was like, and it was starting to make me angry. And it was just starting to just, and I just felt like it was going to crawl out of my skin. Um, and, and I was looking around. And that's when I started being like, crap, maybe I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started looking around at all these old guys. And they're like, how many rehabs have you been in? Like, this is five for me, seven for me, three for me. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, like, is this the future? I have to come back. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be pretty like shattering to a 23-year-old. I imagine finding yourself in that situation, that must have been pretty humbling. Yeah, it was kind of humbling. I was like, uh, you know, and I was doing my best to resist that, you know. And I think that was kind of like the last stand of my, of my like pride and ego was like, you know, I'm going to solve this myself. I don't need you people. Like this is, this is all a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, and eventually it kind of hit me that I was mm-hmm. basically bankrupt. Yeah. Like I am bankrupt. Um, and at that, that's kind of how I did a step one at Mar. I was kind of like, I want to stop drinking just to not go to jail for a year. And I, and I think I'm about to start drinking again in the rehab I have to go to, to stay out of jail. Yeah. It's like, and, and then when people, and then, and then I started starting listing more in the meetings and I started hearing like, Hey, mental obsession, you know what that is? You know what that is? And I was like, Oh Yeah. And then, and then eventually I heard physical allergy. Do you know what that is? Have you ever started drinking and you just couldn't stop? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. 
And now I'm looking at a bunch of 50-year-olds in rehab for the sixth time. Yeah. And I really was planning on just getting out of here and never drinking and driving again and that being my answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I was like, crap. Um, but there were – so that's kind of when I did my step one. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that's when I, you know, realized I was powerless over alcohol and then my life was unmanageable. Yeah. And I was bankrupt. And and fortunately, because and despite all of my ego and despite all of my resistance, I was right in the place I needed to be at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was so, so everything else was just like, you know, it's like God had me right where he wanted me. Like kind of one of the last things I had at that point was like, you know what? I might be, you know, a drunk, bankrupt, drunk person in rehab, but I'm still, st- I still think I'm the smartest person in the room. Damn it. <laughs> Because I'm an engineer and I was valedictorian and I had good grades. And right. that was kind of one of the last things I was kind of holding on to. Right. So, and, uh, yeah. And so I would try to, I would try to play that card and it must've seemed really silly to people, but to me, I'm like, this is the only card I have left. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, do you remember day one, like with the counselors and what your impression was of like the counseling staff and just oh. kind of what you, what you were feeling when you uh. got in there? I remember, like, I remember at first, you know, looking back, I can see how they were trying to help me, but looking back, but at the time, I remember thinking, gosh, you guys are jerks. Uh-huh. It's like, you guys are just, you know, it's like, you know, they would say these things to you. It's like, hey, you know, you seem to be like you're kind of accomplished guy before you got here, but it seems like that stuff's not really working out for you too well, is it? Yeah. And, you know, and there's, and there was part of me that was kind of like, you know what, I've, I've had people telling me that I'm crazy my whole life. You all just going to be another set of people that's going to say the same thing too. Uh, and they're not actually, because I can kind of look back and see how they were getting me to look at myself and do a step one. And then they had something to offer me on the mm-hmm. other side of that. And I didn't think that was ever coming mm-hmm. because it had, because ne- I'd, I'd heard a lot of people tell me I was a crazy person in my life and nobody had something on the other side of that for me. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I kind of met people, I think that were initially kind of trying to tell me I was crazy. I was kind of you know what I've I've kind of heard this before. I I don't need I don't need to go to rehab to find people that tell me I'm crazy. I can find a lot of them out there that I've spent much more time with than you. Yeah. <laughs> so so what was it? What was it though that allowed the people, the counselors in rehab, or to say that to you and for it to make a difference? versus think, when people were saying to it to you before i think for me at first it was uh doing my step one i think realizing i had a problem and and then starting to open up myself to it like like i made a decision that i'm gonna do everything like i'm gonna do this stuff because i don't want to come back and do this more than once in my life i'm not going to uh-huh. be that guy uh if i and i and i started when I, when I finally had done a step one and I kind of realized I had a problem, I, I really just honestly started taking that to him and saying, listen, I kind of agree with you guys. I do have a problem. I'm probably an alcoholic. I think there's zero chance that this is that I'm actually going to recover. So what are you going to do? And it was kind of like I was throwing it back at them. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, is, is this really? And, and it's, and I kind of expected them to say like, 
oh, you don't think it's going to work? Well, maybe you should just get out of here, you know, or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, you know what? I encourage you to stay. Yeah. I encourage you to stay and stay in that feeling and keep working on that. And and that was kind of the first glimmer that I had of like, I can be honest. Mm-hmm. It's like, and they're not, I'm not going to get punished for it. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna, yeah. 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 It was because I was at that point kind of contemplating leaving. I was yeah. like, you know, I, I agree that I'm an alcoholic, but I don't think I'm going to get better as I, I want to go drink right now. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, yeah, that's part of it. And I was like, oh, I can be at this place and be accepted. Cause I always kind of felt like my whole life, if I was at a place like this, people would say, see, let's just write that guy off. Right. You know, and they weren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, you guys actually love me. And, you know, I didn't really consciously kind of get that, but I was starting to discover that. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, things started, my trajectory changed. Mm-hmm. And, and there was one night, I remember I was just sitting there in my bed at Mar, and it was kind of like, I fully kind of realized, I was like, and I was, I felt like I was just crawling out of my skin. Like, what am I supposed to do? 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 And and, and I felt like, and I just kind of started looking to God again. Mm-hmm. Like that was when I switched from kind of to starting to look at God in a positive way. So that was mm-hmm. kind of a turning point. And, and I, what I, and, and I, and this thought just went through my head is that, is that you have nothing left you're totally bankrupt and you have all of these people and resources around you trying to help you and you're ignoring all of them. And I was like, okay, I know what the next thing I need to do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I sur- and I was just like, I surrender. Mm. I was like, God show me what to do and I'll do it. And, uh, and the next day I asked Matt, Matt Irwin to be my sponsor. I think that, part that's really powerful to me about what you've been sharing is the it's like when you're that stage that a person is in in active alcoholism where they don't know that they're lying you know like you're powerless over alcohol but like if you took a lie detector test you'd be like no i just want to I just like drinking, you know, and I can stop if I want to. And it was what, what I heard and tell me if this is right or not, is that it was kind of like having, like being here and getting a chance to just like chill for a second and like settle down and like take in some information. That's when it started. Like you kind of, it sounds like you were saying like you kind of needed that structure of Mar to let that sink in, at least at that point in your life. Yeah, I did. I needed a, I needed, I needed everything else to go away. I need, mm-hmm. I needed to lose everything so I could stop and listen mm-hmm. and have something and then have something else there to, to speak something else into my life. Yeah. And so, and I'm so, I'm, that's why I think it's like, it's so great that I was able to experience that because I would not have chosen it. I was really too immature for it, but I was just blessed by having choices taken away from me. So I, I, I asked Matt to be my sponsor and, and he kind of put me through the three questions. Like, are you an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. He said, you know, what is an alcoholic? And I said, somebody drinks too much. I was still kind of, and then he kind of said, no, there's a mental obsession. There's a physical allergy, helpless state of mind and body. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? And I said, yes. 
and I want you to tell my parents that I did everything you told me after this is all over. And he said, why? And I said, because when this doesn't work, I don't want to, I want to be able to say, I did it. I tried it. Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was at this place where I had the willingness, but I had really no faith in it at all. Yeah. Like I will do everything, but I kind of think, um, what I'm doing here is convincing myself later that when I drink, I really didn't have as much of a, that much of a choice because this stuff doesn't work. Right. And, but the only way I can say this stuff doesn't work is if I actually try to do it to the best of my ability. Cause if I cheat it, I'm going to always sit there and go, you never really did. This right. Stuff. So like crap, I'm going to have to really do it. Um, and at one point we were going and we were going through the books and we were like, okay, we started going through the forward, started going, and we went to the part where it's like, you know, scratch out thousands, put in millions of recovered. And he's like, you know, mm-hmm. this is book that's helped millions of people. Do you think it's going to help you? And I said, yeah. And he said, really? I said, no. <laughs> I said, I said, listen, I, I think you're recovered and I will do everything I, you tell me to do. But I don't think it's going to work. And he said, he looked at me and he said, that's okay. It doesn't matter if you think it's going to work or not. If you just do it all, you'll get sober. That was like mind blown at that point. I was like, okay, I can do that. If that's real, then I can do that because I can embrace that. You know, a lot of times I think I kind of had this idea of spirituality was based. For me, a lot of times I think in my spirituality, it was, Spirituality is a guilt trip for how good your life is supposed to be, except for the fact that you don't believe hard enough. Mm. And I was like, you're telling me that if I just do this stuff, I'm going to recover and it doesn't matter what I think about it. Like, okay, this is on now. Mm -hmm. And and so I just started doing what he said. So we went through, did step three, you know, turned my, my will, my life over the care of God as I understood him, got on my knees, said this third step prayer. Uh, did the inventory, the searching and fearless moral inventory in myself. Uh, did the did the fifth step with him, admitted to God, to myself, and other human being the exact nature of my wrongs. Um, that every time I did one of these steps, it was like a spiritual awake. It was like a mini spiritual awakening. It was like, and every step of the way, I was like, oh, this is good but I still don't believe I'm going to get sober. I still don't think the next one's going to help. Like every time I would do a step, I was like, like, like what I really got out of my fifth step was an idea of like, that I could be honest with myself about what my problems were and still be accepted by God and myself and another human being Mm. and still be loved. And I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I don't have to pretend like I'm the worst person in the world anymore. You know? Um, and I was like, okay, that's great. Um, you know, then we became, you know, became, you know, became willing to have God remove my defects of character, humbly asked him to. Those were two short ones, kind of short in the book. Uh, then the amends, step eight, you know, it's uh, made a list of all persons we had harmed. We did that already because we did it in our inventory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started making the amends process. The amends were wonderful. Oh, the amends awesome. were one, it was one other step that's like, I feel like that's just setting myself up to get punched in the face. Yeah. You know I mean? 
but I'm going to do it anyway. And I did it. And that was one of the best things I've ever done. It was, uh, I had to go back to, uh, I remember the biggest amends that's, you know, I made amends to my family and I made amends to my friends. And I think those are all kind of the, the usual things that I think most people do. I remember one of the worst, one of the things that I regretted the most that I did was that I worked for a restaurant. I was a waiter and I stole money from them. Mm. And I was, and I think that made me feel kind of crappy because like, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like, yeah, everybody hurts their family. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets hurt by their family. Everybody doesn't steal from their employers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so I kind of felt like that was one of those special things that made me worse than other people. Um, and I went into that. I went into the, to the and I used to sit there and, and I would basically be having a good day. And I would remember the fact that I did that. And it was almost like somebody put a knife through my temple and just changed my whole mood for the rest of the day. It was like, oh, you piece of crap. I used to just remember that and just feel horrible. So I went in there and I, and I thought she was going to hate me. And I said, listen, I was stealing money. I think it was about 400 bucks. Here it is. And, uh, and she was, and you know, and I was, well, I, I did the amends the right way. So, so it's like, you know, I did this, it was wrong. You know, I have the 400 bucks. I want to make it up to you. What can I do to make it up to you? And she was like, you know, and I, I was convinced this lady hated me. And she mm -hmm. said, you know what? I'm just so glad to see that you're doing better. Just bring your family to the restaurant and have some food sometime. And I was like, are you kidding me? I've been walking around with a knife in my temple. Yeah. <laughs> I've been walking around with an extra 400 bucks and a knife in my temple for about eight years. And you just wish I'd come eat at the restaurant more. And you're glad that I'm healthy. Yeah. And God. And I think, and then I was like, and, th and that's just even more kind of reinforced what I think what rehab and recovery were telling us is, you know what, I'm the author of my, and that's something Dave Devitt used to say all the time. I'm the author of my own misery. Mm. You know, it's like the things in my life, like I have hurt myself more than anybody else has. It's not the things that anybody has done to me. It's the things that I've done to myself and the way that I've done them and, and the way that I have, have gone about my life after doing them. That is really what has, has, hurt me more than anything else mm -hmm. and at the same and a point and there is such a message of and it was a, such a time for me of growing up and realizing that i can i should take responsibility for myself and i can take responsibility for myself and i would be happier if i do mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of like being at mar and going through the, that process of the steps in aa was like me awakening into adulthood into figuring out how to be like a happy adult Mm -hmm. who has love in his life and can love other people. Mm. Um, and so that was great. And then step 10 is just like, and, and at that point I just felt so free. I just felt like, you know, I made amends to my, my daughters and I made amends to my daughter's mom, made amends to my parents. I made amends to all these people. And, uh, and I just felt so free. I was like, this is what I, this is what I really wanted. Like, this is what I really wanted. And I didn't think there was a way ever to get it. And alcohol was like the uh, the only thing that I could have that could kind of approach it. And, and with all its problems, and I don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, and then step 10 is just continuing to do it, continuing to take, you know, it's like, hey, when the crap in my life builds up, don't let it do that. Deal with it as quickly as you can.
step 11 just continue continuing to grow spiritually seeking prayer meditation you know conscious contact with the god of my understanding uh that's just like don't stop it's like i really do feel like the steps are a beginning it's not an end you know there's a lot more stuff to do you know in terms of and, and then it goes right into step 12 which is you know having got a spiritual awakening is really steps continuing to practice the the principles in all my affairs and carry the message of their alcoholics and that's just like you know this loving people you know figuring out better ways to love people um you know going to meetings sponsoring people which has been one of the which has just been a lot of fun it's been one of the best things i do i just love being able to do that for people because it's like i feel like i got so much out of this program and then i can go back and give it to somebody else and then watch them get it it's like oh that's, this is great like it's like uh it's like you know, it's like, this is the bottle of the stuff I wish somebody had given me instead of alcohol. And I can give this bottle to other people. And it's so much better than alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is so much better to pass this around at a party than other stuff with people that have a way too unhealthy relationship with it. And I love it. And, and then my life, yeah, my life changed. I, I, I hung around Mar for like a couple of years. Like I know some people are like, can I get out of here? I stayed for like two years. <laughs> like, I loved it. Uh -huh. I was like, I was, I was still a college dropout. I was, uh, I was working at, at the job I got. I was still working like the job I got at Mar when I left, which in my, like in, in my first 90 days, I was working at like a radio shack selling parts. Uh -huh. uh, and I just thought it was great. It was like the rent's cheap. Uh, the conversations are good. Uh, it's just a couple of, it's just a bunch of guys in an apartment trying to love each other. God, I love this stuff. Like, like who, I would never have thought that what I really wanted was in a rehab center. I always imagined it being like, uh, looking like a hospital and, and having doctors coming and telling you how crazy you are and leaving. Right. I didn't realize there was a sense of community and people caring about each other. Like, oh, this right. is great. Like when you were describing that, like, it's like learning how to be small, you know, like you learn how to be like, it's like, it's okay to sell parts it's okay to just like yeah have low rent and to like just like have a real simple life um it, like recover i i feel like staying here for especially when you stay for the aftercare part the three quarters phase three is what they call it now you uh you get a chance to really practice that habit of like it's okay to be i don't have to be you know, whatever our programming tells us before beforehand, or maybe for you, it was like, I have to be an Air Force pilot or I have to be this great engineer to in order to be happy. Nothing wrong with those things. But like, it's like you found like, oh, man, happiness is just in this little stuff. And then you yeah. got to go out and, you know, have a great it sounds like a great career since then. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but that's yeah. I mean, well, yeah, what you said is just so true. It's like what I really, what I really wanted was this, this love and to figure out how to love other people. And I think for most of my life until I got to Mar, I never found it. And I figured out how to do it in rooms full of men and houses full of men who were trying to learn it all themselves. And it makes complete sense to me now. And I would not have, I would not have thought it was the thing to do. I would not have come up with it myself. Definitely. And so I just feel so blessed. It's like, despite myself, I was able to find that. And, uh, and, and I really do think that's, that's why I really do think my recovery is a higher power thing. Humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. The hum, 
for me, I feel like the humility in that is realizing that I can't do it. It's like, it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> like all of these things, it's like, it's really God doing it. Like I'm working on character defects now that I didn't even know I had 20 years ago. And I, and that's the great thing about recovery too, is that it's not about being able to do it perfectly and earning it. It's about being willing to do it as much as I can at that point in time. And despite the uh, the setbacks, being able to make amends to go forward and find that, you know what, it doesn't go perfect, but I don't have to drink over it. And that's, and that, and that keeps me alive to fight another day. And, uh, yeah, I went back to school. I went back, I started going back to school when I was at Mar. got my engineering degree. Uh, and I realized, you know, this academic record looks kind of crappy on paper because there's alcoholism kind of landed in the middle of it and, and I thought you know if I really want to look smart or I should probably just go get a PhD and I happened to start working and I was working with some people and I kind of got recommended to start working with this guy and, and at that point in time the first Mars rovers landed from JPL on Mars and I thought you know that's really cool I'd really like to do that one day uh, and I spent about four years at tech before I got married, got my PhD in, uh, in doing a electrical and computer engineering, wrote, wrote a, about a dozen papers. And, uh, and then I got a job at JPL and my first job I ever had out after college was writing, uh, software for the Curiosity Mars Rover for the mm -hmm. science camera system. I thought, how the heck am I doing this? <laughs> like, not a lot of people, like, how did this happen? It almost yeah. seemed like it was like, it, it just happened. And, and I you know, and, and, and that's one of the things, that's one of the jobs I like the most, because like, if you ever see like the Curiosity rover, it's kind of the latest rover they said, they're about to send a new one, but, but they have this camera system and it shows like all the color pictures of like, oh, here's the rover and here's like, the Martian sunset and here's all those things. All those pictures were taken with software that I wrote. And I feel like that's kind of a little bit of my job was kind of a little bit of a gift to the world. It's like, you might not know V very much, but I had a little bit of a part in letting everybody see those images that, of another planet that they might, that they might not have been able to see except for the fact that, that we did that. And I was able to have a little part of that. And I kind of really liked that. Uh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and it's kind of what, and it's what I wanted to do. Um, and after I did it, um, I kind of didn't know what to do next a little bit. They were like, yeah, you want to write some software for another space mission? And I was kind of like, well, actually, no, I kind of feel like I did it there. I, <laughs> I have to go find something else to do. But I feel like I've been able to do these things that I, I, there was a really a time when I was at Mar and I was at the worst place and I was thinking, God, I am so stupid. What am I going to be able to do with this life? And I've been able to have a family and friends and, and a career that's successful. I didn't think I was going to have a career that's successful. It seems like once you surrendered to that, then further down the road, you actually had the opportunity to go back and do the these things. It's like it's like when you didn't care so much about your career or that like your all your worth was tied up in it, then you get the opportunity yeah. to like do it and be helpful. And is that yeah, is that exactly. your experience? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I have to let go of these things, right? I have to, I have to stop telling myself that I have to have these things to be happy because it's not true. 
Uh-huh. And they're not the things that are going to make me happy. And I actually need to ignore those things and go get something else if I really want to be happy or solve my problem. And I, and and so I think, yeah, I think that thing. It's like I had to be at that place where it's like I have to be at a place where I can be in rehab working at a radio shack and be happy. If I don't learn how to do that, nothing else is going to do it either. Right. Yeah. In um, your mind at the time, was it like I may never be an engineer or like had you kind of oh, let yeah. go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally let go of it. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, yeah, and I and, and that just helped me, yeah, letting go of that kind of helped. It was mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I'm going to be an engineer or not. Uh, probably not. Um, probably not going to have a good relationship with my daughter. Uh, probably not going to do much more. Than, and, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of still how I live my life now. Like, I don't have, like, a 20-year plan. I don't have a five-year plan. I don't know where we're going to be next year. But I'm kind of like, eh. I'm happy here. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel like I'm where God wants me to be. I'm working with the people. I don't know if it's permanent. I'm not making a commitment to stay here. But, you know, it's I got to figure out a way to live in the now and figure out how to make make the now happy and figure out how to do what God wants me to do in my life now and not not have it be some making it this huge complicated thing that it's really not. And yeah, it's just yeah, I I've had a really great life since I left. Um, I got married, which was a miracle. Um, I got married. How? How? Let's see. I was seven years sober when I got married, Mm. which, looking back to me, I think that was insane. I should not have done. (laughs) (laughs) Should have waited longer. You mean? Should have waited till I was probably about fifteen years sober. Those guys are like, God, there's so much I know now in recovery about myself and my own kind of foibles and stuff that, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's like getting married. Some of that stuff comes out, you know, yeah. we've had some good times and we've had some bad, but you know, that's the thing about recovery and the principles. Like I don't have to be perfect. I can make amends and I can move forward and keep loving people. And I don't have to drink. Um, I have a 10 year old daughter and in, in, in addition to my 23 year old daughter. And I have a seven-year-old daughter. They're Elizabeth and Helen, and they're just wonderful. Uh, Elizabeth's uh, a sweet child, a book-reading child, uh, and just kind of loves beauty and art. And she's and she's wonderful. And, uh, and then I have Helen, who's seven, who reminds me of me a little bit, uh, a little bit more rebellious, a little bit more tends to anger and fighting. Uh, but in a way, I admire her strong will. Uh-huh. And I admire her. Uh, even, she's, she manages to pull off being intensely angry and fighting and being incredibly happy and smiling <laughs> in the same in the same day and sometimes in the same hour. Wow. <laughs> kind of strange duality there. I'm like, hmm, you could have some interesting times. Yeah. But I think you'll be OK. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> at least I can make sure that I'm OK. Right. Uh and maybe I'll be there for you one day. Who knows? Last question. What would you pass on to people that are listening? If you could pass on one thing, one piece of hard-earned wisdom. Um, if you're thinking about, you know, doing recovery or you're in a rehab center, just go ahead and do everything that everybody's suggesting you. Because if it works out, you're going to be happier and better. And if it doesn't, you'll know you'll never have to do it again. So whatever happens, you're going to win. 
I like it. <laughs> you can't lose. Yeah, that's that's I think the biggest wisdom. Yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> it works a step. Yeah. You know, if those suggestions are worth a step, they're good. Go ahead yeah. and give them a try. All right, that's it for this episode of Stories of Recovery. Thank you so much for joining us. If you or somebody that you care about needs some help, please don't hesitate to reach out to our assessment counseling team. The number is 678-736-8694. You can also reach out to them through our website. We have a chat feature and contact forms. That address is marrinc.org, marinc.org. My name is Matt Shedd, and we're already looking forward to next time.